By my calculations, it'll be the first week of August when we finish this. That will be the last one. When you include Father's Day and, uh, I almost said Easter, that's not the holiday, Fourth of July and the church picnic, uh, it'll take us through the first week of August. I might have miscounted, so maybe the second week of August, but we'll see where that goes. So if you want to know what we are doing for the summer, this is it. There you go. I was talking to uh, my aunt about this. Um, we do prayer meeting Wednesday afternoons over at Alvin and Linda's house, my aunt, my grandma and I. And um, I was talking to them about this, and we were just talking about how incredible it is. I said, I don't know if they did it on purpose. I wasn't there in, where's the first page? I don't have the first page. In the late 1800s, when the Constitution and the Statement of Faith was written. But I don't know if they did it on purpose or if it was just God. But they did these, in my opinion, in the right order. Right? Three weeks ago, we started with the Word of God. If we don't believe that, then it doesn't matter. The rest of our statement of faith doesn't matter. Because if you don't believe the Word of God is the Word of God, let me rephrase that. If you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, then it doesn't matter what the rest of it says. Right? Then we talked about the Trinity, the Godhead. Because if you don't believe in our deity, then it doesn't matter about the rest of it. Then last week, of course, we talked about regeneration. God's number one goal in the world right now, the regeneration of the saints. Remember, we talked about there's three parts to regeneration. Your initial salvation, your sanctification while you're alive, and your glorification, whether you're raptured or, or, or die. Either way, your glorification. Those are the three most important pieces to what we are going to talk about. The rest of these, I'm not going to say they don't matter, because they do. But if I, you are only going to understand, really understand three of them, I want you to understand those three as much as you can. Obviously, the Trinity is a bit, it's kind of hard for us to get, but those three. But then the fourth one, and what we're going to talk about today is the church. The church. And we're going to talk about the universal church and then the the local church. Those verses we read earlier today out of Acts are part of what, because of course in our constitution, underneath each one, we give the scripture verses we use to defend each one. The Acts scripture is one of them. Today, I'd like you to flip with me, if you will. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Then we'll go to Ephesians for a verse or two. Then we'll hop over into Matthew for a verse or two. But this is the real crux. We're going to start in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and go down through verse 24. A little context for this specific one. Chapter 12 is where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about the spiritual gifts. The whole thing centers around the church. And what Paul says is that this is more important than the actual gifts are. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 24. For even as though the body is one, and yet as many members in all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. I'm going to stop right there. There's going to be a lot of verses like that through this. Paul says the same thing again and again, probably so hopefully we'll get the picture, right? Verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. 
And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving them giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. We'll dive into that for in a second. Flip with me, if you will, over a couple of books to Ephesians chapter 1, and of course it'll be up there as well. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then, of course, over in Matthew, and I want to actually read it to you. Of course, most of us are probably going to have this scripture passage memorized. It is Matthew 28, uh, but I'd like to actually read it to you out of the Word of God instead of just memorizing it. 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's that Trinity again. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now then, what did our esteemed writers of our Constitution write underneath the church? We believe in the universal church, a living spiritual body of, of which Christ is the head and all regenerated persons are members. We believe in the local church, consisting of a company of believers in Jesus Christ, baptized on a profession of faith, and associated for worship, work, and fellowship. We believe that God has laid upon the members of the local church the primary task of giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. Okay, so let's talk about the church. Number one on your note sheets there, if you've got one, number one, universal. Universal church. You read it in our definition. There are generally two ideas for the church. Before we dive into that universal and local is what I'm talking about there, but before we dive into that, I want to make one thing abundantly clear before we really get going. In this sermon, unless I otherwise specify, when I say the word church, I'm talking about the people, right? Our word church can mean building, or people. The original Greek word ekklesia only meant people. We've kind of, in our vernacular, made the word church into the actual building as well. So unless I otherwise specify, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about you and I, the people who've accepted Christ, the regenerated people in the body of Christ, okay? Now, let's talk about the universal church. That whole section of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is trying to say one thing, but he's a lawyer, so he's got to say it 18 different ways. If I may sum it up for you, we are all separate but equal. That generally has a bad connotation to it in today's world, 
But the fact of the matter is that God, when you accept Christ, you are baptized by one spirit into one body. End of sentence. And nobody is more or less important than somebody else. Now, pastor, I'm part of the same body as Billy Graham. Yes, you are. And he saved, he, his preaching got hundreds, if not thousands of people saved, right? Yes, it did. So he's got to be more important than me, not in the eyes of God. You are just as important as Peter, as Paul, as the other disciples, as your favorite preacher. It doesn't matter. We are all on an equal playing field with God. He uses us differently, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But we are all on an equal playing field with God. I'm going to say something that the world will staunchly disagree with today. If you are finding your importance, if you are finding your identity in anything other than the fact you are a member of the body of Christ, you are finding it in the wrong place. Because when the moment you become a Christian, your age gets wiped out. Some of you might be happy about that. Your sex gets wiped out. Your race gets wiped out. It doesn't matter anymore. Now, I, of course, am a huge Philadelphia fan in all four major sports. And so I'll be out wearing specifically Eagles stuff, and somebody, some stranger at the mall, at the Walmart, wherever, will go, oh man, can you believe they didn't run the football in that situation yesterday? Yada, yada, yada. I'm like, I know, they're so stupid. I hate this team. And we commiserate with each other for a couple minutes, and then we go our separate ways, and I'll probably never see them again. And my beautiful, loving wife will turn to me and go, you don't know that person. And I said, you're right. But we're part of the same family. We are part of the same family. And when you see a Christian, whether you know them or not, you should be able to not commiserate together, but be together in harmony and in fellowship. It doesn't matter what culture they came from. It doesn't matter what race they are, what sex they are, how old they are. You fellowship with them. Now, am I saying that it's a bad thing to be like, yeah, I'm a rural guy. I don't like the big city. No, it's not. God gave us all preferences. But if the first thing you think of when you see me is a short, somewhat overweight, white man who loves sports, then I've done a horrible job of being a Christian. Because the first thing you should see is a Christian. And the same should hold true for you. The world today screams, find your individuality. Find who you are. I agree. Find who you are in Christ. Because as a Christian, that's what matters. None of the rest of it does. But the glorious thing is, he did make us all differently. All of us serve a different part. Some of you in here will understand what I'm talking about with this. I have two very bad knees. Some of you had knee replacements. Some of you might have arthritis. Some of you might just be getting up there in age. Your knees just aren't what they used to be. Whatever the reasoning is. But my knees don't work correctly. And I am very much aware of it every day. If you're a knee in the body of Christ and you're not working correctly, the rest of the body of Christ is aware of it both universally and locally, and we'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about the local church aspect of it. But we were all given different 
abilities, different talents, different gifts to work together. And that's what Paul is referencing here in this passage of Scripture. He's saying, listen, you were all given different gifts. Use them. Don't worry about what gift that person over there got. It's not your problem. You do what you are supposed to do. Then we know that Christ is the head of the church. We read that in Ephesians chapter 1, right? Christ is the head of the church. So none of you are the head. Sorry. None of us get that position. All of us are a member of the body from the the neck down. Because Jesus gets to be the head. Why is Jesus the head? Because everything in the body stems out of this right here. The most powerful computer ever created is inside your mind. uh, Inside your cranium, I should say. It is your brain. Did you ever think about this? If I stand up here and go, hand, close, it doesn't do anything. But I can just go, why? Because my brain sent signals to the nerves and muscles in my hand and the bones and said, close the fist. And it happens almost instantaneously. It's not quite instantaneous. If you want to know that, then you do that whole trick about somebody holds a dollar a certain height above your hand and you have to catch the dollar. You physically can't because your brain can't tell your hand to close fast enough if it's at a certain height, right? So it's not technically instantaneous, but it's darn close. Your brain can overcome certain things. It tells your body what to do. I'm not talking about if you have food poisoning here, but if you're just feeling somewhat queasy and you sit there and go, oh man, I'm going to be sick, the odds are you're going to be sick because your brain convinces your body to be sick. But if you're a little queasy and you sit there and you go, nope, it's not going to happen. I'm just going to keep going. It's not going to happen. I'm not saying the queasiness goes away. But you know what usually doesn't happen? You usually don't puke. I'm not talking about you've got a stomach bug, and I'm not talking about food poisoning, but we all get nauseous at times. Your brain commands the rest of your body. It's one of the reasons that the helmet of salvation is a helmet, because the most important thing to protect is your mind. It will command the rest of you. So that's why God gets to be the head, because he's the most important. There you go. So that's the universal church, right? Don't ever lose sight of the fact that you are of the same body as a Christian in China, as a Christian from 2,000 years ago, and should God tarry long enough, a Christian from 2,000 years in the future. Same body, baptized by one spirit. Let's transition. Number two on your note sheets. Local church. The local church. This is kind of like a body inside the body, right? You are part of the body of First Baptist Church, New Milford. We're all part of it. We all have different roles that we play. It's a more intimate idea than just the universal church. We come together to worship, to work, and to fellowship. Yes, to work. Don't let anybody ever tell you we weren't made for work. That's a popular idea going around right now on a lot of social medias and stuff like that. Ugh, we weren't made for work. We were made to be artists. What? No, I'm not saying art's a bad thing. Please don't misunderstand me. But you were made for work. 
What was the first thing he told Adam to do? It wasn't to paint a lilac. It was tend the garden. Please don't misunderstand me. I love music. That's my art. I'm not saying that recreational things are a bad thing. I'm not. But you were made to work. And as a member of the body of Christ, you were made to work for the body, both the universal, but more specifically, the local body of Christ. Some of you took part in that yesterday. Thank you. Some of you took part in it Friday, helping us set up. Thank you. Some of it, some of you take part of it for the Welcome Center. Thank you. Some of you take part in it up here on a Sunday morning, right? There's tons of different things. Communion, I don't set this up. We all have different roles that we play, though. And here's the great thing, right? Because we look at it and we say, oh, wow, the pastor's up there. He speaks and he sings. Oh, and Miss Maddie, she's up there. And Grandma and Kathy and Aunt Lori when she's here. Oh, it's great. They're in front of people. You know what the Bible says? We're less important than the people behind the scenes. God gives, let, let, me, let me read exactly how he says it. On the contrary, it is much truer that members of the body which are seem to be weaker are necessary. And those, here it is, those members of the body, I'm in verse 23 of the Corinthians passage, by the way. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. It is the people working behind the scenes. It is the people that show up when we have a work day and just vacuum pews or dust. It is the people that do the things that nobody really sees, but to be honest, if they don't get done, we notice them. Those are the people that Paul says we need to put honor on. Sorry, Maddie. We're not the honorable ones here. Oftentimes in life, we put honor on people that are out in front, and God says, no, no, they're not not honorable, but I'm going to bestow more honor on the people that are doing behind-the-scenes things. Here's one of the behind-the-scenes things that, quite frankly, doesn't get nearly as much honor as it should. Some of you say, Pastor, I can't be there to help move boxes and set up tables and do stuff like that. You know what you can do? You can pray the whole time. Nobody needs to know. Nobody has to know. But you beseech the throne room of God for us, and that's exactly what's needed. There is a role for everybody to play in the local church. And God gave us all different gifts and talents and abilities to fulfill those roles. Some people, if we want to talk spiritual gifts for a hot second, some people God gave the gift of prophecy, not foretelling, but forthtelling. When you read through the prophets in the Old Testament, they actually very rarely tell the future. They usually are sent by God to talk about what is happening right then. Right? Some people he's given that ability. Or that, that, that uh, gift, I should say. Some people, like my mom over there, he's given the gift of hospitality. You show up at her house unannounced and she's like, this is great. You show up at my house with three weeks notice and I'm like, oh, I can't believe they're coming. Half joking. Right, but some people, we all know those types of people, that they're just, God has given them this ability to be hospitable towards people, and it's great. Some people, God's given this ability to be helpers. It doesn't mean you are not supposed to help if you don't have that gift, but some people don't have to be asked. You show, I stand up there on a Sunday morning and I go, hey, we're going to have a work day, and before I can even talk about the sign-up sheet, they're like, do you need help? Yes, we do. 
Some people God has given the gift of teaching or wisdom or discernment. And all of them, here we go, this is on the point B there under two, the two, two main goals or two main major goals. This all fits under the edification of the church, the building up of the church. That is one of our primary goals. Build up the people around you. We don't do things like the flea market or the rummage sale, whatever you'd want to call it, without you guys' help. Yeah, we can do certain things. But we can't do it without people dropping stuff off, without people setting up tables, without people there popping popcorn and serving hot dogs and drinks and all that kind of stuff, without somebody sitting there taking money. We can't do this stuff without the help of the church. So we need help. The other major goal, and we're almost done here. I told somebody the other day, I said, I used to tell people we do from 9.30 to 10.30, and I said, that's just not true anymore. It's 9.30 to 10.45. The pastor's gotten a little long-winded. The other major goal or role of the local church is what we read about in Matthew 28. Go and preach the gospel. Go into the whole world. God's not asking each and every one of you to go into the whole world. Let's put it this way. Go into your whole world. Your whole world might be New Milford. Your whole world might be your job if you're in Scranton. Your whole world might be your apartment complex. Go into your whole world and preach the gospel. Pastor, I don't feel equipped. Okay. Go. Pastor, I'm tired. Go. Pastor, I've talked to them a thousand times. Go. Notice there's no sort of um, qualification on that or disclaimer or anything like that. Go, unless you don't think they need it. They've heard it before. Nope, it's not there. Go, but pastor, my family might not like it, and it's not there. Go, unless it's going to offend somebody. Nope. Go. It's a command. It's an action verb. Do it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no room for us to say, I don't want to. Here's the other thing. If you can say, I don't want to, then you don't know the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. Let's just put that out there. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I don't buy into that. You might have heard the, the whole saying, like, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Poppycock. Use your words. Use your actions. Use every last thing you can think of and preach the gospel. It doesn't mean everybody's going to come. It doesn't mean that they're going to listen. Some of you will be facing some very stiff opposition to that. I understand. Some of you right now, when I said go and I mentioned family, you went, oh no. Because you know family members need to hear it. And God specifically placed you there so they could hear it. Some of you heard some things that I said and went, oh no, that applies to me, doesn't it? Probably. Cool. What are you going to do about it? As we wrap up here, I've got two pieces of... um, Uh, practical application for you this morning. This week, 
And I'm giving you seven days to do this. So you don't even have to do it tomorrow. But here's the thing. If you do do it tomorrow, you don't only have to do it once. You can keep doing it. Right? This is a reoccurring homework. Find a way to edify or build up somebody in your local church. Take a look around you right now. Take a look around you right now. And pick somebody. And this week, build them up. Pour into them. By words, maybe, maybe you're like, wow, they look a bit peakish. I'll get them a sandwich. If somebody picked me, I like ham on sourdough with provolone cheese. But I don't look a little peakish, so. Building up doesn't necessarily mean you have to be like, I've got 18 Bible verses for you today. Not necessarily. If God puts a verse on your heart to give to them, give it to them. But building up can just be, hey, brother, how can I pray for you? Hey, sister, I saw you, and man, you were looking really good this past Sunday. Hey, why don't we go get coffee and just talk about life? Why don't we go get coffee and not talk about life? Edifying and building up does not mean you have to be as smart as that person, as, quote, godly as that person, if you want to say that. It just means building into them. Pick somebody. And the second thing, and if you're wondering, if you haven't caught on, we're going to try to fulfill our two major goals. Bring somebody to church with you. Preach the gospel to them and invite them to church. They might not come. I invited somebody Wednesday afternoon. They're not here. I didn't fully expect them to show up, but I'm going to go back to Dollar General on Wednesday and see if they're there again. Invite somebody. Preach the gospel to them and then invite them to church. Let's make a point to actually fulfill what our major purposes, our major roles are as Christians in a local body. Use whatever gift God's given you to do it. If he's given you prophecy, then go and yell at him. If he's giving you helps, do something for him. Help him mow their lawn and then walk in and go, hey, I mowed your lawn. Come to church with me this Sunday. It's okay to guilt trip people sometimes. Maybe not too hard. Use the abilities and gifts God has given you. You don't have to do it the same way as somebody else. It's the same thing as the edifying. You don't have to do it the same way as somebody else. Do it the way God has gifted you to do it. And let's all do it this week. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for the church. That you saw fit to make this one body, a universal body of believers. It amazes me. I'm part of the same body that Paul was part of. That Peter was part of. That all of these amazing men and women throughout history were part of. I'm part of it. And Father, I want to thank you that I'm part of a local body as well, that we can build each other up. Father, I'm asking that you would help us to do that this week, that you would help us to put on our hearts who we need to be building up this week, and then give us the right words to say and things to do and such to build them up. And Father, as we ask during our communion, open the door and present the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and then invite them to church. And then give us the boldness to do it. To do both of those things. Edifying and, and preaching the gospel. 
Father, we praise you. We love you. And it's in the name of your son we pray. Amen and amen.